This is a Together Church podcast, a place to explore meaning, friendship and faith in Jesus. We'd love you to connect with our community. Find out more at togetherchurch.com.au When I was young, I read a book called Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. And this book argued that men and women are different, which I agree with. But it also described men as like this and women are like that. And look, some of the observations in this book were helpful, but others were unhelpful. The author suggested that men like cars and machinery and they're good at reading maps. And this is a problem for me because I'm not at all interested in cars or bikes or machines and I absolutely can't read a map. Some may say I am directionally challenged and I think it's true. Before I met Kylie, I was often lost. I've been lost in heaps of different places. I've been lost in the heat of the Jordanian desert without food or water until I was eventually rescued by a Bedouin woman who lived in a cave. I've been lost in the snow on top of a mountain near hypothermic with no tent or spare clothes as the sun was setting. I've been lost training people locally in Hobart. I remember a time when I was in Rosny College and I went to the toilet halfway through and I couldn't find my way back. I didn't know if I'd gone up the stairs or down the stairs, so what level I was on. And I I didn't know the name of the room or the room number, so I couldn't ask for directions. It was just super stressful. So I am not good at directions or reading maps. But the question, I suppose, the question I ask having read this book is, does this make me less of a man? Kylie, in contrast, has this amazing sense of direction. She's great at details and she's fantastic at reading maps. And I really appreciate her for this. When we traveled across Europe from Scotland down through France and then Spain and Portugal and back, uh, Kylie directed and I did the driving and we were a great team. Now, apparently, it is legal to circle around a roundabout in Europe three times before you can get fined. And so what we ended up doing is whenever we hit one of those massive roundabouts with freeways and highways, I would just go into autopilot and I would start circling around the roundabout while Kylie looked at a map until she basically pointed out and said, that exit. Now, look, I'm comfortable with my masculinity and I'm mature enough to realize that I don't have to read maps to be a real man. But it does raise the question, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What is gender? And how does the Bible guide us in understanding our gender roles? So we are in the middle of a series called Longing for Love, and it's a series about love and sexuality and gender. And I've been building a foundation built on the premise that God is love. And from that reference point, we ask and answer other questions that help us to understand our sexuality. We've asked what is love, what is freedom, what is sex, what is marriage, and what is gender? We get to ask the hard questions by building a foundation on this framework that God is love. And today we are exploring the question, what is gender? Which is a really complex and sensitive and challenging topic with multiple facets that I can't cover in depth today. 
There are things I would love to talk about that I can't. I don't have time to unpack the link between gender and sexuality and spirituality or explain male headship in marriage and what it looks like to serve our wives as Christ died for the church. And I don't have the time to talk about how our sexuality can be expressed without a sexual relationship. So there's lots I can't talk about. And yet I do want to paint a biblical picture, a compelling vision for what it looks like to be male and female, beautifully binary, integrated in heart, mind, body and soul, formed and found in God, expressing our gender by knowing who God is and who we are in God. So there's a lot to cover. Not so easy. Let's give it a go. Now, it's rare for me to do this. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to start by summarizing where we're heading from the beginning. Here's, here's what we're going to cover. That God made us male and female, beautifully binary, not gender fluid. We are going to be looking at the way that we are equal but complementary. We're not identical and competitive. We're going to look at sex and gender being interconnected, not fragmented and compartmentalized parts of ourselves. And we're going to look at the fact that our masculinity and our femininity find their expression in and through God. Now, look, I may not know much about how to read maps, but I do know how to examine the Bible. And as apprentices of Jesus, the Bible is our map. It's our guide to understand the human condition, what it means to be male and female, to understand our gender. And the best place to start is at the beginning, the book of Genesis, the first book in the library of Scripture. We're going to start at chapter 2, Genesis 2, before sin entered the world. Let me read. This is the account of the heavens and the earth, when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now here we have a description about how God formed the heavens and the earth and humans. The biblical story isn't literal in a scientific sense, but it is 100% true because it describes our origin in God. It describes who we are and how God formed us. Yahweh, the Lord God, created all of the heavens and the earth and everything in it. And he said it was good. We read this in Genesis 1. And then in Genesis 2, we read that God made a man from the dust of the ground and breathed life into him. Now, this doesn't mean that men are earthy or made from dirt. Uh, it, it means that God handcrafted men. He handcrafted humans with love and tenderness. We are God's creation, his imprint, his offspring, and he breathed life into us so that we could live. We are not, as the atheists suggest, meaningless dust in a meaningless universe. I mean, yes, we're made from dust, but we are formed by God's love. We're handcrafted and God breathed, and he says that we are very good. And then the book of Genesis continues. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So while humanity is good, it's not good for us to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. 
He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But Adam, for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So what we see here in the early account of humanity is that Adam had a problem. Right at the start, he was alone. He was incomplete. He had a longing for love to be loved and to love. And animals weren't an equal and opposite companion. He needed help. He needed someone to be equal with. Now, the word helper in Hebrew is Eza, and it doesn't mean servant or personal assistant. It's not a derogative or negative word that we can sometimes read in the English word helper. It's actually a beautiful word. It means a counterpart or a partner or an alongsider. Genesis is suggesting that a man needs an equal and opposite companion, a counterpart. Someone to work the garden alongside him to share life in a unique and special way. I think that's a beautiful image of man and woman together alongside one another. So let's continue. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. Now, we know that men don't have one less rib than women. I mean, I'm a physiotherapist by trade. I know that we have the same amount of ribs. So this is theological. It's not scientific, but it's still true and it's beautiful. So the idea of Eve being born out of Adam's rib is that she was formed on the side of Adam. It means biblically and theologically that Eve is made of the same substance as Adam. Unlike the animals, men and women are the same flesh. They're the same spirit. They are made in God's image as an expression of God's love. So when Adam wakes up from his sleep, he sees this beautiful, wonderful alongsider that he has been longing for, and he is enamored by her. The first thing that Adam does is to sing a poem over the woman. He woos Eve. If I look at this passage, Adam is saying, Wow, this woman is beautiful. She's hot. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She is of me and like me. She is my alongsider, my equal, my own flesh. God breathed. She is human. So here is the theological meaning behind this story in Genesis. And it's central to our understanding of both humanity, gender, and also marriage. The book of Genesis says, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, this is central to our understanding of marriage, that a man leaves his father and is united to his wife in sexual intercourse, and the two become one flesh. They tie their souls together, as I described in my talk about what is sex. They become one heart, one mind, in emotion and spirit. 
and in marriage, which, as Michael mentioned, is a lifelong, voluntary, self-sacrificial covenant, we give our full commitment physically, yes, but also emotionally and spiritually. And there is no shame. This is the image of what it means to be married in covenant with one another under God in community. And the man and the woman, I love this, they're both naked, but they feel no shame. They, they are totally vulnerable emotionally and spiritually and physically. They let down their guard. They allow themselves to be truly seen. No power games, no gender wars, no performance anxiety. They are naked together with no sin and no shame. It's beautiful. And this is, this is the way it was before the fall, before sin entered our world and corrupted everything. It's God's imagination for what it means to be a man and a woman as one. So what does this mean for us when we try to understand the question, what is gender? Well, firstly, God made us male and female. Masculinity and femininity are not social constructs. God made us binary, so male and female, man and woman. And this was before sin entered the world, and God said, this is very good. So it's the first idea that God made us male and female. The second is that God made men and women equal but complementary. Adam and Eve are equal, but they're different. Like the t-shirt that I saw in Vietnam, we are same, same, but different. In one of the letters, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes that men are created to lead by serving sacrificially. And women are created to love by serving sacrificially. We are same, same, but different. Our complementarity is seen both physically, you know, obviously men and women's bits fit together, and we work together, but, but it, it also is a complementarity that occurs spiritually and emotionally and mentally. Like chips and sauce, we go together, men and women. We are not the same and competitive. We are different and complementary. The third idea is that gender is not made up. It is not a social construct. It is designed by God and our gender is found in God. We are made in God's image. Our maleness and femaleness are expressions of God. As men, our masculinity is found in God. As women, your femininity is also found in God. And the more we love God, the more we wrap ourselves around him and find our identity in and through God, the more we wrap ourselves around our masculinity and our femininity, we find our gender in our identity and relationship with God. God is not male or female. God is an Elohim. We've, we've talked about this in a previous series. God is a spiritual being, an Elohim, with characteristics that are both masculine and feminine. In the scripture, we, we see this. We see metaphorical images that describe God in masculine and feminine ways. Now, we know the Bible was written in patriarchal times, and there are definitely more masculine references to God as a result. So God is our father. God is our Abba, so our daddy. God is the bridegroom. God is the king. God is the warrior. These are rich and wonderful images about the masculinity and strength and wonder of God. 
But God, as we read in the scriptures, also has feminine characteristics. Uh, Women are made in her image, in her likeness. God is compassionate. God is loving. God is gentle. God is nurturing. We read in the word of God that God is like a nursing mother caring for her children. In Isaiah 66, you shall be nursed. You shall be carried on the hip and fondled on the knees. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. It's beautiful. Isaiah 49, can a woman forget her nursing child or not show compassion for the child of her womb? Even if these forget, yet I will not forget you. So God is more compassionate and more faithful than a mother nursing her baby. God is also like a woman who grows life in her womb. Psalm 110, out of my womb before the morning star I bore you. Or she's like a midwife. Psalm 22, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. And then there's the image of God being a woman giving birth. Isaiah 42, I have kept still and restrained myself, but now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. (laughs) This is a description of God. In Hosea, God is described as a mother bear. In Deuteronomy, God is described as a mother eagle. And Jesus says in Luke 13, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing? So here's my point. Men and women are made in God's image. We read that. And therefore, the vast and wonderful array of masculine and feminine traits that are expressed in humanity come from God. God's vision for gender is wonderful and it is logical and beautiful. In the words of John Mark Comer, God created human beings as male and female, not androgynous and asexual. We're not interchangeable. Every cell in our bodies is stamped XX or XY. Gender is literally in our DNA. You know, women have XX genes and men have XY chromosomes. Every cell in our body is binary and shaped by our DNA. God made us beautifully binary and God called us to be like him and formed through him. Can you see the beauty in God's vision for male and female as he created us before there was sin in the world? Can you see it is very good? Just pause and reflect on the goodness of God's image for men and women formed in him, equal but different. In secular society, there are a myriad of competing visions about what it means to be male and female, what it means essentially to be human. These competing visions are all around us and they make life complex and really challenging as apprentices of Jesus. In fact, I would say in our current cultural climate, it is near impossible to celebrate this biblical view of male and female, equal and different, that I've just presented without being confronted by people who have different worldviews. Uh, Just that idea alone is now 
a cultural minefield. And we can't even talk about our biblical ideas about gender without it becoming political. But what we're looking at is a competing vision for humanity. Denny Burke, a Christian author, writes, The secular West has given up on the idea of God as the maker in whose image humans are created. Likewise, the culture has all but given up on the idea that men and women are different and that they are so by God's design. In the West, male and female are not creation categories. They are simply identities that we learn from culture. What Burke is saying is that if we throw away the idea that men and women are created by God, designed by God, men and women, male and female, equal and complementary, we end up with a bunch of confusing alternatives that lead to pain and ultimately suffering. And here are two of those alternative visions that are so common about gender in our society today. On the one hand, we have gender boxes. And on the other hand, there is gender fluidity. Both alternative visions are misaligned from the biblical vision of a man and a woman formed and found in God. So let's start with gender boxes. Men read maps. Women like cooking. I mean, these, these are cultural stereotypes and they lock people into fixed roles and fixed boxes based on their gender. Now, we know how awful it feels to be put in a box, to be, to be pushed into a particular stereotype that, that doesn't quite fit us and, and to feel restricted by these social boxes. This is the sin of conservatism. The, the sin of the conservative parts of society, and I would say the conservative church. The society around us and church has often aligned male and female roles according to conservative cultural norms and put us in conservative social boxes rather than being guided by God's vision in Scripture. Men and women are different. That's true. And men are called to lead in a unique way in their families. This is also biblical. But conservatism adds extra layers about what we should be and what we have to be and what we have to say, and it's really restrictive in a negative way. Psychologists talk about gender scripts or gender norms. And look, while I believe that some generalizations are helpful, and actually some generalizations are based on our DNA differences, but, but these generalizations or stereotypes are not helpful if they force people in boxes or if we find our identity in them. Social researcher Brené Brown in Daring Greatly outlines the gender scripts found in American society based on research. And I, I think these are very similar in Aussie culture. So in America, men are winners. They're to be risk takers and violent they're to be playboys, self-reliant, they're to have power over women and to pursue status. And women, according to the same research, are more feminine if they're nice and modest, not calling attention to their abilities or talents. If they're thin and pretty, domestic and care for children, if they invest in romantic relationships and are sexually active but just with one partner, 
if they invest their resources to make themselves look more attractive. Now, look, I admire women I know with many of these traits. You know, I admire modesty and kindness and the love that women have for children. But I don't want my daughter to be molded and, and squashed into these boxes, to be constrained to be nice and thin and pretty and modest if that's not who they're made to be. These gender scripts go way beyond Genesis 2, and they're actually ungodly. We are male and female, equal and different. But the Bible does not say that women have to be thin and modest and domestic in order to be truly female. Here's the interesting thing. If conservative society has boxes, so does progressive society. The progressive story says, let's tear down the boxes and the traditions. Break the patriarchy. No rules. Choose your own adventure. There are endless gender options to choose from. But this has created an alternative set of problems and actually, ironically, an alternative set of boxes. Rather than just one box, there are now hundreds of boxes to choose from, an unlimited array of gender options, and this is exhausting and confusing. It's, it's like when you go to the shopping center and there are so many options that you don't know where to start. I mean, who am I? If I'm a man, who am I now? I get to choose my own identity, my own stereotype. Am I the powerful, always in a business suit, I have everything I want type of man? Or the footy fanatic, drink a six-pack of beer every night type of bloke? Am I the young executive who rides to work on an electric scooter and drinks latte from a keep cup type of guy? Or the 007 stylish, tough, smooth, womanizing man? Am I the stay-at-home, grow organic veggies and coach school soccer dad? Or the softly spoken, avoid labels, but wear skinny jeans with designer glasses type of hipster? I mean, these are all boxes. They all demand that we do the right thing and say the right words and fit the right stereotype. But progressives, they haven't destroyed cultural boxes. They've just given us more to choose from. And, and our identity in many ways is still found in a box. Our identity is found in who we are, what we look like, and who we associate with. Saying the right things, being the right things, doing the right things. I mean, for women, the choices are even more exhausting. Are you the smart, educated, I have my act together, professional, with just a little bit of makeup, but not too much? Are you the loyal, supportive, stay-at-home mum who brews her own kombucha after packing hubby lunch each day? Are you the grungy, I don't give a rat's about what anyone else thinks type of girl who wears black and looks sad on Instagram? Or the tan, model-thin, aloof sex goddess that men trip over? Are you the old natural, outdoorsy, no makeup at all girl who spends her time hiking and adventuring? Or the capable, sensitive, professional, fit, fashionable doctor with three degrees and perfect kids? Each box, every box demands something of us when we find our identity in them. Our identity is not to be found in these boxes. It's found and formed in God. Remember the freedom narrative? No right, no wrong, no rules for me, and therefore I'm free. I mean, this type of freedom doesn't make us free. 
Unlimited choice, unlimited options are exhausting and they're actually another form of slavery. The, the progressive story creates slavery through choice. By not having boxes, we have even more boxes. And the result is that we feel anxious and afraid and overwhelmed. We fail either to live up to our own chosen gender stereotype or we achieve it and end up judging everyone else for not living up to our ideals. And this is not what God wants for our lives. God says, You are made in my image, man and woman, equal but different. But he doesn't go into the minutiae. God's instructions about gender and gender roles are actually really high at 10,000 feet. You are a man because God made you a man. You are a woman because God made you a woman. There are myriad ways to express your gender creatively because God is creative. And, and this is really liberating. I can't read maps, sure. But I'm still a man because God made me. He breathed life into me. He called me his own. My identity is found in God. You follow? Just pause for a moment and reflect. Is your masculinity or femininity found in God or in a culture-bound box? Okay, now we've talked about gender boxes and gender stereotypes, but let's look at an alternative confusion, and that is gender fluidity. I mean, who here has heard of that term? I'm sure you have, yeah? Yeah, it's becoming increasingly common and, and very politicised. Gender fluidity is the idea that our gender is not innate or designed or even connected to our bodies, our physical selves, but determined by our thoughts and by our feelings. Activists who promote gender fluidity argue that gender is socially constructed, so made up by society and not bound in our biology or our chromosomes, our XX and XY genes. They argue that gender is whatever you think and feel, and your gender can change over time, even indefinitely. If you feel like you're a man, then you are a man. If you feel like you're a woman, then you are a woman. If you feel somewhere in between, either or, or neither one or the other, then you are what you feel. Now, I understand I understand the desire to empathize and have compassion for friends that we know and colleagues that we care about who are confused about their gender, people who are exploring what it looks like to be gender fluid. But to capitulate to the idea that we are what we feel is actually really radical and it does not align with reality. I'm going to show you, I hope, that it's, it's simply illogical. And it's not just illogical. I believe it's dangerous. It leads to great pain across society. Gender fluidity is the natural consequence of the freedom narrative, which we've described a few times. It's the idea that reality is found in our feelings as we follow our heart and discover our true selves. No right, no wrong, no rules for me around gender Therefore, I am free. This image is from the internet. It's called the genderbred person. And it's what gender activists are pushing in our schools in order to um, 
educate a new generation of people about the ideas of gender being based on feelings. It is not based on scientific research or systematic controlled trials. It is based on a radical ideology, and we need to understand this. They say, and let me read the top, gender isn't binary. It's not either or. In many cases, it's both and a bit of this and a bit of that. They say your physical body is your sex. Your heart and feelings create your sexuality. Your thoughts and brain form your gender identity. Transgender activists tell us that gender lives first and foremost in the mind. People are the gender they feel they are. They are the gender they think they are. And that is the claim. Our subjective reality forms reality. Now, on the one hand, it sounds really appealing. No more boxes, no more constructs, no more constraints. If I feel like a woman, then I am a woman. If I feel like a man, then I am a man. I'm even free from my own body, from my own chromosomes. But this is simply another heresy, another form of Gnosticism, which we've talked about before when we talked about what is sex. It's the ancient heresy that says that matter and spirit are disconnected and separate. It's the heresy that says the body is separate from the spirit. They're disconnected and separate rather than integrated and whole. But the Bible disagrees. This is not who humans are. Our physicality matters very much. I am not a disconnected heart, head and penis. I am a child of God, created in the image of God. God breathed, integrated and whole. My body and my soul are connected, not disconnected. The gender-bred person is actually a deconstruction of humanity. It says that a human is a fragmented heart, mind, soul and body, and, and that we are put at war with ourselves. And then it tries to say that this image, this vision for humanity is good. I just don't buy it. It's really broken. This is not God's vision for human masculinity or femininity. Our biology and our chromosomes determine our gender, not just our feelings. And we can become integrated, wholehearted, spirit-filled people, one in God. Remember the Shema? The Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart mind, soul, and strength. We are to orientate our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, our body, our gender around one God, orientating everything as apprentices of Jesus under Christ. And in doing so, we will be formed in the man and woman that God calls us to be, integrated, not disconnected, not deconstructed parts. And here is the irony of gender fluidity that it only works if the old gender boxes, if the old stereotypes are maintained. If, for example, I'm a sensitive, non-competitive, gentle boy who enjoys playing with dolls, then gender activists suggest that maybe I'm a girl. But, but I only feel like a girl because I'm referring to an old social construct. I'm referring to social boxes that say this is what boys are like and this is what girls are like. 
Can you see how stereotypical this is? My feelings rely on a reference point on old gender scripts about what it means to be male and female. And that reference point is all wrong. Think about it this way. What does it feel like to be a woman? (laughs) Apart from having a female body, what does it feel like to be a female? Most women, in my mind, would be rightly offended if I was to say that I know what it feels like to be a woman. I mean, I just imagine myself at school pickup with a bunch of school mums who are casually talking about raising kids or being pregnant. And I just, I imagine me saying, I know what it feels like to be you, to be a woman. I know what it feels like to be pregnant, to breastfeed, to have periods, to to have feminine thoughts and emotions. I know what it feels like to have a double X chromosome shape my DNA. I know what it feels like to struggle with menopause and to know and understand the discrimination of being a little girl in a man's world. I mean, what would the response be? I'd be terrified to think about it. I mean, how can I know what it feels like to have XX chromosomes when I have XY chromosomes? And similarly, how can a woman know what it feels like to be a man? I mean, you can guess, but I don't think you can actually know. Here's another question raised by Ryan Anderson, who wrote a great book, actually, When Harry Became Sally. He writes, Why should feeling like a woman, whatever that means, make someone a woman? Why do our feelings determine reality above all else? I mean, think about it this way. If I feel like I am African-American, does that make me African-American? I mean, this is not hypothetical. Black communities have rejected white people who claim that they feel or think black. If I feel grossly overweight when in reality I'm wafer thin, the medical community likewise would be negligent if they offered me liposuction versus helping me to realign my anorexic mind to my body. Jesus tells us to be wary of anyone who teaches that our feelings determine reality. He says, resist temptation and flee from natural feelings like lust and greed, hatred, judgment and anger. We are not to be shaped by and defined by our feelings. Our feelings don't create reality. We have the ability to shape our actions around our feelings. And gender is no different. Feelings do not define reality and we should not accommodate to a culture that tells us otherwise. Ryan Anderson says it this way, At the core of the gender-fluid ideology is the radical claim that feelings determine reality. From this idea come extreme demands for society to play along with subjective reality claims. The biblical imagination is not gender fluidity. It is man and a woman formed and found in God, beautifully binary, integrated in heart, mind, body, and soul. As apprentices of Jesus, let us run far away from gender boxes and gender fluidity.
And I really like this description by Michael Frost. He's talking about sexuality and spirituality, but I think the same ideas hold true. He says this in the book Longing for Love. I am my sexuality and my spirituality. These are not two warring parties desperately seeking to have control of me. I am not two persons. I am not a body in opposition to my spirit. I am a spirit as well as a body and for me to live well, I must be spiritually well. So just pause and reflect for a moment. What might we lose if we accepted that our heart, mind, body and soul were fragmented into parts? And why should our feelings determine reality? Not just ours, but also the reality we see around us. Just pause for a moment and reflect. Okay. So what does it look like for us to respond? You know, what does a loving, grace-filled, generous response look like? You know, it's, this is, I know this message is personal and I know it's challenging for many of us. You know, some of us struggle deeply with what it means to be a man and a woman, with our masculinity and our femininity. You know, we may have been hurt or judged or misunderstood by friends and colleagues, by family, by, by church leaders, by church communities, by workplaces, by those around us who simply misunderstand us or use unkind language or judge us in our wrestles. Or we may feel the pain of friends and colleagues who we know, who we love and care for, who are experiencing gender confusion right now and who desperately long for acceptance as they explore their gender and their gender options. You know, I usually end with practical advice about what we can do in our own lives. But as I wrote this talk, recognizing just how difficult this subject is for so many of us, I just wanted to stop and acknowledge the pain, actually acknowledge the pain that people feel all around us, including often ourselves, as we seek to understand what it means to love God and to love God in a way that is faithful to who he has made us to be. What I have noticed is that as culture adopts more and more confused ideas, we just see more and more people who are experiencing confusion and gender pain. And, and our heart reaches out to them and we want to be a loving community. And yet we also want to love God's truth and walk in His ways. Now we're going to continue this conversation in a few weeks when I talk about this transgender moment and talk more about what it means to love and understand what's happening in the transgender community. But for now, I want to encourage us that God is generous and compassionate. Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I'm convinced that if Jesus was here today, he would love gender minorities. He would love the transgender community, even as he critiqued and challenged the beliefs that lead to the pain. 
And as apprentices of Jesus, we are, to, we are called to walk a tightrope, to love and embrace people who suffer for whatever reason, and yet at the same time, hold firmly to God's truth about what it means to be a human, to be formed male and female. And look, I just want to encourage you that if you are experiencing this painful, difficult tightrope, loving people who are broken and yet also knowing that their reality is not truth, be encouraged because God is with you and he has a way for you to love and bless those who are broken, whether that be others or whether that be yourself. Now, I just want to conclude with an image that I found when I looked up love. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful image. It's uh, a heart built on binary coding. Now, the key idea of the gender fluid movement is that love is not binary, as if somehow the idea of man and woman made in the image of God, different but complementary, to be one is old-fashioned and restrictive and unhealthy. To be free, they say, we need to deconstruct binary gender codes and follow our heart, find our own individual path. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, and therefore I will become free. But here's the thing about binary ones and zeros, zeros and ones. This is binary coding, which is actually the foundation for everything we do and see online. Every image we see on a screen, every movie we watch, every web page we browse, every song we stream, every post we share online is founded on binary coding, a creative combination of ones and zeros and zeros and ones, which create the color of the online world. Binary is not broken. Binary is beautiful. It's foundational. It's how we create the color of the world. All we need in the Word of God is man and woman, designed and loved, different but complementary, beautifully binary, dancing creatively in the embrace of God. And look at these images online. Look at how beautiful the colors are, which are all built on the foundation of ones and zeros, zeros and ones on binary coding. I mean, look at this beautiful sunrise and this wonderful, amazing flower with all these colors. Look at this fireworks display and, and this sunrise. This rainbow is binary. The colors here are built on a foundation of binary coding. God made us man and woman. And it's beautiful. God made man with different personalities in his image. We can be strong and sensitive. We can be wise and servant-hearted, serial, jovial, tender, peaceful. There are a myriad of ways to express our masculinity as men with XY chromosomes. We don't have to be bound in a box, but we don't have to give up our gender either. We are fearfully and wonderfully made because God made us in his image. And women, God made women with different personalities and different ways of seeing the world. Creative, kind, capable, bold, tender, 
empathetic, powerful, generous. So many different expressions. God breathed and God loved. Built in her image. Beautifully binary. So to sum, the scriptures say, in the beginning, in the beginning, God made male and female, equal and complementary, beautifully binary, mirroring the personality and colourful disposition of our Creator, who ultimately is the God of love. And as we head into communion, let us kneel at the feet of God, the God of love who loved us above all else. Jesus was a man who walked this earth, a perfect man, a man with no sin. He was a man that expressed his gender as if it was before sin entered the world. Jesus, as we read, was strong and weak. He was brave, but also gentle. He laughed and he wept. He was a man who walked this earth and expressed the fullness of God. And Jesus died on a cross for our sins so that we could once again be one with God and one with each other, wholehearted and interconnected, naked with no shame. And Jesus invites us. He calls us to trust in him and to submit ourselves to God's loving and wonderful design for our lives. To find our identity not in boxes, but in him. And to experience a whole, guilt-free and integrated life. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you show us what it means to be wholehearted. Thank you that you are the image of the invisible God. And as we look to you, we can find ourselves and our identity. Thank you that you made us male and that you made us female, that we are beautifully made in your spirit and that we can creatively express our gender the way you called us to be. Help us not be confused by the alternative competing visions of what it means to be a man and a woman, to be human. Help us to integrate our heart, our mind, our soul and our strength so that we become one with you and one with each other and actually one with ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.